0: Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I am so glad you are tuning in today. You know what's really having its moment right now? Internal family systems. This is an approach to therapy where parts language is a huge component. Maybe there's some therapists that you follow on Instagram, or if you're a Holding Space Podcast listener, you've heard me talk about Different emotions, feelings, experiences as parts of us. My anxious part, our guilty part, our angry part, our protector parts. Parts work is so powerful in supporting us in developing a new relationship with our feelings. Having self-compassion sounds real nice, right? Supporting our kids in developing confidence also sounds pretty great, right? I really think that internal family systems and parts work can be a bridge to both. I invited my friend and colleague, Vanessa Trine, onto the podcast. Vanessa is a licensed professional clinical counselor in Southern California, and her work in private practice focuses on helping adults experience healing from deeply rooted trauma using internal family systems and somatic therapy. In this episode, together we explore why talking about our feelings as parts of us Support our relationship to our triggers and emotions, anxiety being a big one of those, so we explore what are some ways to talk to and connect with this part of us, the parts that are holding anxiety around parenting, motherhood, life. We also unpack how parts work relates to ideas around reparenting. What are some ways to help your inner child parts after feeling triggered by your own kids? I'm so glad you're tuning in. Let's dive in you're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human, and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care, and you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I'm so excited for us to connect and to dive into our topic. Me too. Thank you for having me. So, before we dive in, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the Holding Space podcast listener and share a little bit about who you are and what lights you up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm
1: Vanessa Trine. I'm a licensed therapist in Southern California. And I love working with clients who have a lot of deep-seated trauma. I love working with teens and with women, um, adults also. And I just feel a lot of passion about helping people experience relief from things like anxiety, panic, or even like unexplained somatic symptoms that make it hard for people to enjoy their life. I love helping people discover what was going on how to heal it in a really gentle, compassionate way. And I just, I
0: couldn't picture a better job. Amazing. And you have a card deck we were talking about. We both have card decks um, that we've, we've shared with the world. And uh, maybe you can tell the listener a little bit about your card deck too. Yeah,
1: I'd love to. It's called the support deck. I worked with an illustrator who's based out of New Mexico. Um, and we created a deck of cards that all have coping tools on them. And so on one side, there's an illustration. So it could be, and they're really beautiful illustrations. It could be just a visual cue of something that you can remember like, oh, right. If I take a long exhale, that will calm my body. Or on the other side of every card are really basic instructions for how to do each of those coping tools. So if you're ever feeling overwhelmed with anxiety, panic, grief, anger, anything, instead of trying to come up with a solution that, when you're calm, might seem obvious, but when you're overwhelmed, feels inaccessible. You could just draw a card or draw a couple cards until something gets you to feel some relief.
0: So Vanessa, tell us a little bit about internal family systems and parts work. So I think it's, you and I were saying earlier that like with just each other, the IFS is kind of having its moment right now. Um, mm-hmm. Internal family systems, people are talking about parts, parts of themselves. Their, their sad part, their anxious part, their perfectionist part, their guilty part, their, you know, likes to be in control part. People are talking about parts, and I love it. Um, I've been talking about parts for a long time in my own clinical work, and it's played a big role in my own healing, in my own relationship with my own hard emotions and big feelings. And so tell us a little bit of context for what internal family systems is and why parts work can be so powerful when it comes to relating to our emotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. IFS, it stands for yeah, internal family systems, which is this, it's working from this philosophy that all of us are multifaceted and we all have multiple pieces of us that are all interacting all the time. So for example, you might feel excited about an upcoming event, but also dreading it. You could have those conflicting feelings at the same time. And then Conflicting feelings can also show up for things that are like more detrimental, like a trauma that a trauma might be really confusing and you might have multiple things attached to it, multiple feelings that we're calling parts. So in IFS, these parts can all interact similar to how a family system can act and react to each other. In And when you use IFS in a therapeutic setting, you can help clients Identify these different parts of them, which, first of all, just the identifying, acknowledging part can be really, really powerful and healing. And then also, you can start to hear from essentially these emotions that you're externalizing by acknowledging them as parts. You can start to hear from them individually almost so that it's a less flooding experience for your system, your internal system. And one of another reason why it can be a really good fit for people who have experienced trauma is because sometimes if somebody's just wanting to get to the bottom of something like why did i feel so anxious in that moment or why does this still make me so angry when looking at it from a parts work lens it's possible that you have six anxious parts or like four different angry parts and if we were to just try and figure out why am I angry, that just might be too big of a question. But if we feel like, okay, I was angry because it felt like this was really unfair to me. I was also angry because I should have known better. And then there can be these pieces that come from it and you can do one at a time, individual healing work for each part. And then also they're all connected. So it's not going to take you a hundred years to just go through every emotion you've ever had, but It's just a way that's less overwhelming to still get to the bottom of things that have been
0: hard. I love that. And I think that it's what's been so powerful for me in my own work and understanding these different parts of myself has been being able to sort of separate um, me, self, from these parts of me and to acknowledge that these parts are coming along for the ride and they serve a purpose, right? So my anxious part, my anxiety part, its job is to look for all potential threats. And sometimes it, you know, (laughs) puts things in overdrive when it doesn't need to be in overdrive because maybe it's a meaningful risk, but it's, you know, identifying it as a threatening one. And, and then but being able to recognize, okay, there is me self that can respond to the data that this part of me is giving me rather than just looking at myself as somebody who is just an anxious person, right? Like, yes, I have anxiety as, does, as do all humans. We're all wired for it, right? Oh, yeah. um, but there's also the part of me that can create a little bit of space and name that this is the part of me that's showing up. Um, this is the way that this part of me is wanting to respond in this moment. This is the data. Um, some of it might be helpful. Some of it might not be. And I self can can now make a decision right around this, or set a boundary. You know, with this part of me, kick it back in the back seat, and, and I'm going to stay in the driver's seat, right? Um, or you know, be able to respond to these parts of myself with compassion. Because I think that this idea of like self compassion, I think to me has become so much more tangible and has made so much more sense once I identify these parts of myself. So when I can respond to my anxiety with compassion and the data that it's offering me, it's just, it feels, yeah, like a more tangible experience. I don't know. What are your thoughts around that?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I think the way you put that was so beautiful because when we have some kind of emotional distance from something that we've felt or experienced it can make it more accessible to feel it's essentially to be with it to be with the emotion instead of becoming that emotion so when you're having a panic attack that can be an that is an all-encompassing experience you are you are experiencing panic in your whole body when you're, when you're able to have some separation from it, like if that panic goes from a 10 out of 10 to maybe like a seven out of 10, still really not great, but it's at least a little bit quieter. The dial has turned, turned down a little bit. There can be space for you to be with that panic. So if you're thinking of it as like another part of you, instead of just, I, I am a panicky person. It can be easier to be like, Oh, she, even if I'm picturing myself, I I could be like, she's so scared. I'm so sad. She feels so scared. And there's this space where you can start to feel empathy or you can start to have understanding or even just openness towards something you're experiencing instead of just wanting it to go away. And there's a lot of, mm. there's a a lot of really beautiful healing that comes from that kind of act of self-compassion.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I think there is – and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but being able to really separate some of these different players or parts that are showing up in these moments, right? And so this has also been a big part – the parts work and parts talk has been a big part of my healing journey with my own perfectionism because, you know, my perfectionism and my people-pleasing parts, these were parts that were, you know, definitely reinforced, right? I think – that the world around me in different situations liked these parts of me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it, these parts of me, you know, were contributing contributing factors to you know getting straight A's and to putting other people's needs before my own, and and it was it was definitely reinforced, you know, um, in different situations. But when I identify that I have my anxious part and then if I'm able to be like, well, okay, so there's also the perfectionist part. Gosh, how do these, how do these parts relate to each other? You know, and being able to then see that, you know, I actually think that when that anxious part that, you know, I can picture as, you know, like a shaking, you know, to me, it's almost like a child part scared Mm -hmm. and feeling really overwhelmed. Um, that that perfectionist part <clears throat> kind of comes in and is like, ooh, I'll help us. I'll keep us safe and, um, you know, stands in front of that anxious part. So underneath my perfectionism is actually anxiety and fear and, and some other more vulnerable parts of me. And what that su- what that has supported is developing a new relationship with my perfectionism where, okay, I'm not getting rid of this part of me. I'm not getting rid of fear or anxiety. It's coming along for the ride. But I also want to pay special attention to when it's showing up because maybe underneath that drive and that reactive response to control something or to need it to be perfect, right? Maybe underneath that is actually something I'm scared of and a more vulnerable experience. And if I'm able to access that, and address that, the root, right, that perfectionism is protecting and the armor, beyond the armor of perfection, then then maybe I'm actually really getting somewhere. Um, and that might build a bridge to, gosh, connection or a presence or a freedom to live as a full h- human who's never going to be perfect, you know? Right. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I, I love what you're saying and I feel like it's important to highlight too that all of, all of our parts are all good. The philosophy in IFS is that every part is a valuable part of you. It's the outcome or maybe behaviors that the parts are driving that can be seen as problematic or hurtful. But when you get down to it, if you, are, if you find out, like you were saying, if you find out what, what is this perfectionist part doing for me, The intent is it's trying to help this little anxious part not flood your system or get triggered. So the intent is really good. That part is just trying to protect you. If I, this can come up, I work with a lot of moms and this can come up with um, maybe a behavior they have towards their kids. If they're feeling like, I can't believe I just yelled at my kid like that, or I can't believe I I had to withdraw in that way, like I just could not engage. I just could not play with my daughter today there even though maybe on paper it could be like, Oh, you might feel like I'm a bad mom, okay, a couple things about this one, there may be a self critical part that critical part it sounds like just wants you to be a good mom like if if you were to look underneath the mm-hmm. the criticism, mm-hmm. the intent is actually they just want you to to be a good mom. Mm. Or if you had one of those behaviors, you yelled at your kids or you kind of withdrew from your kids, the anger or the withdrawing is usually some kind of protective factor also. So underneath it, it might be trying to protect you from, I don't know, a more extreme scenario or from you getting completely burned out or whatever right. the scenario is.
0: Anger, anger is one of those emotions that we're wired for. And obviously, it can show up as a protector part so that folks – Don't see the thing that's underneath us that's more vulnerable, right? Like Mm -hmm. I might, you know, get really I might yell at my husband when underneath I'm feeling, you know, overwhelmed or alone. Mm -hmm. Um, But at its core, anger is there to give us data when maybe like it feels like a like a right has been violated, right? Or a boundary needs to be set. And so, in that situation, maybe anger is indicating, gosh, like. My right as a human to like have help, <laughs> to have space and margins for myself, like is not happening, and mm-hmm. and guilt is letting me know that the way I, I responded to my kid isn't aligned with maybe the kind of parent that I want to be. Mm-hmm. But if I can, if I can pause and and look at the data that these parts of me are offering about my situation, maybe I can respond to guilt with like, "Oh, you're right." You're right. You're right. Okay. And this, you know, in this, in this situation, the data is right. That wasn't aligned with the kind of parent I want to be. Uh, thanks for the reminder. I am going to go repair. Um, mm-hmm. And then to anger, to be like, you're right. I need some space. And maybe screaming at everyone <laughs> isn't the way that feels aligned with the kind of parent I want to be or partner I want to be. But there's still really helpful data in the fact that something here needs to change. Maybe mm-hmm. I need my partner to step in more in some of these ways. Um, maybe I need to get out of the house and, and then guilt's like, ooh, but then you're not being present with your kids and you value that. And I can be like, mm-hmm. you're, you're sure right, I do value presence with my kids. And actually this other value I'm choosing to prioritize is going to actually support me in being present with my kids when I get this space and margins, right? So mm-hmm. these parts don't always – get it right in terms of the data that they're offering but if we are able to to create that space and that pause and name it and the parts that are showing up and what's the data that they're offering we we self the you (laughs) with all Mm -hmm. these parts that are coming along can help determine how we want to respond to it
1: Yes. And you are mentioning self, which I'm so glad you are. Self is one of the, I think the best pieces of this type of therapy because it, it highlights something that I mean, I believe is wholeheartedly true that we all have this either capital S self, or it can feel like inner wisdom or your soul, whatever feels truest to you. But this, what we're referring to as self is something you're inherently born with. It's all of these inner resources, and it's things like compassion and courage, creativity, connectedness, patience, love. It's all these things that are inherently available to us and within us. It can be hard to access if we're feeling flooded or triggered or hurt, but but all those things are in there. So when you're saying connecting to self-energy, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful reminder because it's saying we're not just a part of ourselves. We're not just this angry part that is a part of the whole, but at our core, we are things like love and courageous and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting as you're talking about this, it's making me reflect on um, another podcast episode that the listener may be interested in in tuning into uh, called Why? Um, Am I screwing up my kids? (laughs) And in um, that episode with Dr. Sumi, we talked about the struggle that um, our generation of parents and, and probably generations before, but I can only speak from my own experience and my client's experiences of millennial parents of experiencing like we can't trust self. Like We're always looking out for what – that someone else must have the answer, right? And so it's – I really find a lot of folks struggling with this idea of tapping into their like maternal intuition and instead going to their phone or going to Google and figuring out what others are doing because – they must have the secret key. It's it's not something we can tap into ourselves. And I think it's really helpful to <clears throat> contextualize that. Um like why? Why 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 are we struggling with tapping into self and trusting self in everything, right? Like decisions around our baby's sleep, decisions around how we feed our child, decisions around how to respond in a moment when you know, our kid is, you know, really disappointed, or using potty words, or whatever the case might be. Like, how do I respond and 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 not trusting self in that? And and I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Like, do you have any ideas in terms of, um, just let's, let's put millennials on 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 stage here. Like, what 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 is it about the millennial that, like, in their experience, you know, in you know, growing up in their family systems and the, what was happening in the world around us and school and how the education system was kind of set up, you know, for us. And obviously everyone's experience is going to be so nuanced and every individual context is, is really important to take into consideration. But are there some themes that you think might contribute to why our generation struggles with trusting self and tapping into self?
1: i i do i think this is something that is universal but also specifically is showing up for millennials which is this this sense of loneliness. And it's not just that millennials are the only ones who've ever felt lonely. That's, that's not it. But it's like a specific contextualized loneliness of Mm. having a lot of information, um, especially in like early adulthood in their twenties around like therapy and what anxiety is or what narcissism is or what gaslighting is. And it's all these things that are really helpful Mm
0: -hmm. and weren't
1: talked about before. Mm -hmm. This is just one piece of it, but, and so they've got all this information as far as how to do some work on themselves, maybe how to be a better partner, maybe how to be a better parent, but they also didn't have anybody to model this for them, or Mm -hmm. they only had really Mm -hmm. nuanced pieces of this modeled. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're in this place, we are in this place of self-empowerment, but also sort of like this flailing, like, okay, but <laughs> like, what am I doing with this? So it's, it can just feel like I'm assuming every generation has a version of this. Right. Um, and for ours, it, I think it just feels a lot like I, I think I'm just supposed to write some, a bunch of people's wrongs So I don't keep screwing things up or I don't keep participating in like the cycle of, you know, generational trauma. But with like no examples, so right. The short answer is, you can trust your intuition and you can go inside. But it can also feel like, how do you, how do you know I can do that? Like, where, <laughs> what do you mean? So
0: it could just feel really overwhelming. Yeah, guys, okay. and you know, when you said that, I just had a little like light bulb moment that I hadn't thought of, but I think is very connected to what you're talking about here. You know, I think that, you know, we have access to so much information now, right? And so it's like at our fingertips. Like we are the the generation of like the digital space and just access to so much, mm-hmm. um, to people's opinions, to the world events, to um and also to expert knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Like and, and some really helpful things. But like so for let's an example here. Um, let's say um I want to use a, a, an example that happened recently with my daughter. So let's say like I when I was when I was little, I didn't know anything about like what it was to be like introverted or extroverted or how different people get energized by different things and have different needs. And I learned about that much later on in life. Right? And so and I got that information from somewhere else, right? From some expert that describe to me what an introvert versus extrovert was. Like, I didn't know that about myself. Uh, Somebody outside of me gave me that because that wasn't something that I was taught, right? Um, My daughter, though, from a very early age, my oldest, she's 11, um, I've been talking to her about how, you know, she may have different needs than like her brother or from me. I'm much more extroverted. My daughter is much more introverted. And like, like her father. And recently I saw she was texting her friends in a little group chat and because of her age, we still, you know, um, she doesn't have a ton of privacy when it comes to texting (laughs) quite yet. And, um, we, she said something along the lines of like, her friend was like, Oh, who wants to call or who wants to um, FaceTime? And she wrote, um, I have homework, but also I'm an introvert, and sometimes I just need my space, <laughs> and um, and like to so, because being with people doesn't energize me. Like, and I I was like, but the thing is that she's 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 11, and like she's gonna grow up just like knowing this about herself, right? Mm-hmm. Like this inner knowing. Like she's not gonna know like the moment to like remember the moment where like someone outside of her told her. Mm-hmm. So she's gonna have this this sort of my hope is this sort of. Um, intuition of what it is that she needs and to be able to communicate that because maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's been modeled to her, right, that it's okay to have these boundaries. It's funny, when I first saw that, my people-pleasing part was like, oof, that's kind of harsh. Like, what if they stop being her friend or what if they, um, you know, because she put those little emojis that were kind of funny after that, like, bye-bye. Like, girl, bye. Like, I am like, I am not going to talk to you right now. But it was, but her friends like respected it. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, wait a second. That's the kind of people I want her to be around anyway, is the kind of people who honor this Thing that she needs, right? Um, right? And it's part of her. Anyway, I just, I think that we, I think there's a, a couple things, right? Like our parents didn't have the information that we have now or the parenting support that we have now. They weren't going to therapy because of the stigma. And so we weren't necessarily like validated in our feelings or supported in like naming our feelings when we were little. Um, mm-hmm. And for, for a variety of reasons. Right. Um, and then in school, a lot of it was like, here's the information that you need to like memorize and then, you know, regurgitate. And I see very much so in my, my kids' generation school starting to look a little bit different. There's still some of that, but like, there's a lot more of like conversations around what they – like the knowledge that they bring to the table and the experiences that they bring and it's generated from within rather than like I'm just going to memorize this and then I need to perform, right, yeah. um, and with speed. Um, and, and then I also think about just our um, – some of the things that we experience in terms of and school shootings and then um, phone, handheld devices and social media and recessions and the pandemic. And I think about how much access we have to um, things that are happening around us and others' beliefs and other expert and expert advice, um, but also how honed in our anxiety is going to be because very early on we you know, discovered how the world isn't always so safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in places where we thought we might be safe. And that's not to say that other generations didn't experience those things. Um, But I do think that it's important to understand how these experiences for us have impacted how we relate to these different parts of ourselves or our or self, right? In terms of, can I trust myself? Do I, if I feel something, do I know, do I, do I have, do I have, experience with like naming that feeling and feeling like I, it came from within rather than I need to go somewhere else to figure out what, what this is that I'm going, that I'm experiencing. I don't know. Does yeah. that, that make sense?
1: Yes. And, and I think a part of it too, is it's going to feel like, um, building a muscle or like muscle memory. It It's not just like, if you go inward and listen to your intuition, you're like, I'm going to date everybody who's right for me. Like, you know, it's just like, there's not a way to just have now a perfect formula for all your decisions. Um, Which can be a reason why people can feel doubtful of their intuitions. Not always about dating, but it can definitely be that like, how did I not see these red flags with this person or whatever it is, but you are going off of one, the information that you currently have. So you're doing your best as a side note, but two, The more that you practice trying to listen to, even if it's like the most quiet little glimmer of clarity or the teeniest glimmer of bravery or depending on what the scenario calls for. If you just start to notice what that feels like to be held in your body, it will become safer over time you're essentially building a relationship back with yourself and mm. building trust and rapport takes time so it's okay that this is going to be a process right but it's it's then going to be there i mean then you're going to have a relationship that feels safe and
0: trustworthy it's so worth it but you're so right this is a muscle that like we haven't had years and years of toning my hope is that my daughter i mean She'll be in therapy one day. I hope she is. I hope that she feels comfortable enough and safe enough to like get therapy and be like, hey, my mom's a therapist and hear all the things she did, you know? Like, and like, I I hope, I hope that she does that. Right. And then I hope that I'm open to like receiving whatever it is that I did yeah. <laughs> that was screwing up. So, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just part of it. Yeah. But what I also hope is that she has all of these years of toning her boundary setting muscle and her tapping into her intuition that she needs alone time muscle and space from even the people she loves muscle, that when she's an adult or one day she chooses to become a parent, that when she has these triggers in her body that are indicating to her, I need some space, or I need to set a boundary here, that muscle has been toned and she's going to be more comfortable to do, doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I didn't start toning that muscle until very recently. And so it's like when you first go and you start working out a new muscle, like it's going to feel – you're going to feel weak and it's going to feel really awkward. Mm-hmm. And I think that awkwardness though of it is such a beautiful sign because if it feels awkward, it means that your brain is like, wait, this is new. We don't usually put our needs before someone else's or we don't usually say no or we don't usually pause and breathe before <laughs> reacting. You know, we don't usually say sorry or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to feel so awkward because the brain is like, this is new and I don't have a connection here uh, to to wire this to or which what what, what category to like file this under in, in my brain and my memories. So I guess I got to make a new one. And that's literally how we rewire <laughs> our brain and can create real change in how we respond to triggers and situations. So it's gonna be awkward, just like it would be if you were working at working out a new muscle. And and maybe it, maybe it won't be as awkward for my daughter because she's been doing it for so long that the muscles gotten toned. Um yeah. I don't know, that's that's my hope at least.
1: And she's gonna have it modeled and it's gonna be a lot more normalized for her, I hope, because in everybody in her generation. Just that boundaries are cool. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You know, like some of the teens I work with, they're legitimately like, "Ugh." Some of my friends aren't in therapy. Like, it there's like a there's like it's great to be taking care of your mental health. I don't know, so I I do feel like there's a lot of hope around that. I have
0: a lot of hope too. I have a lot of hope too, and and I know that like there's there's going to be struggles that their generation has that like also terrifies me, Um, but like I I think that there's going to be a lot more support for the tough parts of being a human that they're going to hopefully experience. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about reparenting. What role do you see parts work or talking about our anxiety, our perfectionism, our people-pleasing parts, our guilt parts, right? Our anger parts. How does talking about parts and reparenting um, while we are parenting in parallel, (laughs) what role does it have and how do they connect to each other?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, for starters, being a parent can trigger like previously dormant parts to just be like, I'm here. And then it can feel, it can just feel so overwhelming to be like, great. What am I supposed to do with now? Multiple children, my child and my inner children that I, I don't have to do it. There's so many, so many, so many kids. So so many kids. And it can feel, there can even be moments in parenting where upon reflection, maybe you realize I felt like a child trying to parent a child and that can feel really scary and overwhelming. So part of the reparenting that can happen through parts work instead of, I mean, inner child work is something I believe in and I love but it can feel like okay i've helped my inner child now what the the way i conceptualize it under this parts work lens is when you are self soothing or you you do some therapeutic work or something on your inner child you're doing it for a part of you there may be a lot of other parts that also feel really young that need some attention too so in note so step one can be once you have some space from whatever the scenario was, you can notice, okay, that scenario with my kid or kids or partner about my kids, you know, triggered these parts of me. It made me feel angry, guilty, and insecure. And then from there, it you might be able to notice what age you feel when you connect with mm-hmm. one of those parts each at a time. You mm-hmm. might feel like a teenager It doesn't always have to be little, little, but some of that, you might even feel like I'm connecting with a pre-verbal part of me and I just feel like crying. That's Mm -hmm. all I can say. And, but then from there, you're able to give these younger parts of you what they didn't get at that age, but they can get from you now. Mm Yeah. It's, hard because you're doing this for a physical child that is yeah. also like your heart outside of your body right but then the these parts of you that you can learn to love and have a relationship also it's it's all intertwined together and so it can feel like double work but but the payoff is, mm. is worth it
0: it is so worth it and and i think there's one of the reasons i love working with parents so much is because <laughs> becoming a parent just feels Like it – like all the like armor that we put up that we could like maintain, right, to protect ourselves from having to like (laughs) address some of these things, Um, it just like ripped it down, (laughs) like tore it apart and not not in such a a pretty way. (laughs) But like when you're sleep deprived and like this child like represents is like a walking maybe at some point talking, like we'll be talking at some point representation and maybe like these parts of you that you learned that you felt like you had to shut down – and it just just like it really um, invokes this vulnerability that is can feel very overwhelming. But I think that there's also opportunity in that to, to really start to do this work, to connect with um, these different parts of ourselves. So I tend to integrate um, IFS with EMDR. And um, if anyone's interested in learning about EMDR, there, I have an uh, "What is EMDR" uh, episode that talks all about it. Um, but in that approach, which you know can be can be used to um, treat trauma and anxiety and um, identity challenges and lots lots of things, um, but one of the one of the stages of EMDR. Um, is as we're kind of setting the stage to figure out memories that we might be targeting that are connected to present day struggles, we do this float back exercise. And I want to just walk us through it a little bit because I think that it's very relevant to this idea of reparenting and connecting to parts of ourselves. So let's say you have a recent trigger, right? Like let's say that for me there's a trigger around – food and mealtime and my, my child being a really picky eater. And uh, I find myself feeling during that time like there's something wrong with them or like there's something wrong with me. And I find that I'm like really irritable and I don't look forward to meal times, and they stress me out. So I might consider that consider and then, and then bring to mind like, okay, what are some negative beliefs I have about myself associated with that? Mm-hmm. Emotions. And where does that show up in my body? And what's so interesting is that the way that the brain stores memory typically is through like image, cognition or beliefs, emotions, feelings, and physical sensations. So when I tap into that, it's like going into the part of my brain that houses, you know, any other memories or experiences connected to those beliefs, physical sensations, or feelings. And it's like turning on the lights in, the room, in our brain and being like, all right, hey, what else is in here, you know? <laughs> and then what I, what we ask the, the client then to do in this assessment part of EMDR is to allow their mind to float around, float back, and see what comes forward in terms of a memory where you may have also, like, felt these things. And sometimes it's very clearly, like, relevant or, or – or not like, – they're all relevant, but very clearly, noticeably, you know, familiar or makes sense to the person why they're connected. And then you might find that there's other memories that you're like, gosh, for some reason I keep thinking about, you know, this one time, you know, my um, grandmother picked me up from school and commented on, you know, my body weight. Or this one time that a parent, you know, made me uh, – like they, they, they would make me finish milk at the table even though I really didn't milk and I couldn't leave until I finished the milk, right? Um, or other times where I felt like I didn't have control Or like there was something wrong with me or something bad was going to happen or things felt out of control. And so what that allows for us to do is to connect in what it it allowed for me to do in my own EMDR work and to allow me to support my clients in doing is like really connecting to some tangible memories and um, experiences that they may have experienced when they were a child or a teen or a young adult that are whether are, in, are actually showing up in that moment, right, when their child is not eating the food that is on their plate, you know, for example. And so having that insight and awareness is, has been really, really supportive for me because in these moments when I'm getting triggered and I'm now able to name the parts of me that are showing up, right, I also have a connection to, oh, and it makes sense. Right, because there were these experiences that I had that little me experience when she didn't have control over mealtime, and or you know felt like you know she was letting people down, or you know there's something wrong with her. And right now, in this moment with my child, that's coming up. But I I do have agency now. I am the adult now. Um, I can respond to myself with compassion in this moment while also, gosh, having some data for what my child actually needs in this moment. And I think that's really where like we have so much like intuition just from connecting to little us and what little us needed that we can, if we, when we do this work and have access to in these moments and show up for our child in the way that we actually needed someone to show up for us, back when. So while we're, you know, <clears throat> constantly looking outside of us for like, what's the script or what does the expert say I should be doing? I think that all of that can be really helpful to give us just like somewhere to start and to help us just to kind of figure out what kind of parent we do want to be, what aligns the most with us. And I think that we have so much information actually within ourselves when we connect in with the little version of us um, and in that reparenting work we then now have not just a script that someone else gave to us. Oh, let me, let me repeat that. Sorry. We have not just a script that someone else gave to us, but we have something within ourselves. that's going to feel really authentic um, um, in that moment. Yeah. I love
1: that. And I think it's,
0: it's a beautiful
1: reminder of our own capabilities Mm. and our own strengths and, and that we are, I mean, what I, one of the things I was getting from what you were just saying is that we're an expert on ourselves and we're good. We're good inside. Mm. So it all just comes back to, we are worth this work. Mm. Our insides are good and we can learn to trust ourselves even, even if our growing up, adolescent Years felt completely out of control or even if people told you otherwise.
0: Mm. Yeah. And for the listener, maybe you want to put your hand over your heart and replay the last 20, 30 seconds or so and, and hear that again. Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share uh, with me today and have this conversation. Where can people find you so they can con- can continue to connect with you?
1: Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram at Vanessa Trine Therapy and my website, vanessatrine.com has a place where you can sign up for a mailing list if they wanted to. This summer I'm launching an online workshop that is going to have multiple modules going over ways to calm your body and it, it will have parts language in there and it's essentially ways to experience relief from anxiety. Um so if anybody wanted updates on that, they could sign up and I'll when that comes out too, I'll give you a a discount code for your listeners for that workshop if they're interested.
0: Oh beautiful. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to share links in the show notes. Again, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned in to this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me, for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.